Psalm 85, verses 4 through 7. You know, while you're turning there, one rainy afternoon, a father and his daughter were riding down the slippery, wet roads of the town that they were, that they lived in. His daughter, this six-year-old with such an inquisitive mind, sitting in the back seat and she says, Dad, I've been thinking on something. Uh, I imagine a smile came upon his face as he asked, Aspen, what have you been thinking about? She said, the rain. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was curious at that point. So what is it about the rain? She said, well, it reminds me of sin. The rain is like sin. And the windshield wipers is like God just wiping our sin away. <laughs> that father had chills all down his body and he thought quickly, let's see how far she'll take this. So he asked his six-year-old, he said, uh, do you notice Aspen, do you, do you do you notice that the rain just keeps coming? What do you think about that? She said, well, without any hesitation, she said, well, seems like we just keep sinning and God just keeps forgiving us. <laughs> Isn't that like our God? He provides forgiveness for us. You know, today we're in, we're again, we're thinking of in his steps and but today, the focus of our thought is our confidence in his provision. And, you know, the truth of the matter is it's God who provides forgiveness for us. When the sacrifice of bulls and goats and birds would no longer suffice, it was God who provided a once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. For those of us who have received this sacrifice... Those of us who have received his only begotten son. Those of us who have received the spotless lamb of God as our savior. Our sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. I can say that because scripture says that. This is not something I've made up but it's what the Bible says. And when we hear that a question rises up often. And the question is. Well, does that mean we have a license to sin? Well, Paul addresses that particular question in Romans 6 and 2 when he teaches us that God forbid that we would even think that way. We who are dead in our sin, we should have no desire to sin at all. And you know, the truth is there's a difference in desire and temptation. You know, we're all tempted to sin. But those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we should have no desire to sin. In other words, we shouldn't be going out planning to sin. Sin's going to come our way, but it shouldn't, we shouldn't be a people who are going out planning to do it. Chances are, if that's what we do, then we've just never truly been saved. 
The apostle is not saying that we are perfect. Instead, he's saying God is perfect. And God provides salvation for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God who has provided, who's provided his Holy Spirit to us to abide within us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to convict us of our sin. And as we move forward throughout our lives in his steps, we can continue to gain confidence in his provision it appears to me that the psalmist is confident that the jewish people cannot survive without god's provision if we look there in verses four through seven the bible says restore us O god of our salvation and cause your anger toward us to cease will you be angry with us forever will you prolong your anger to all generations. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. This is God's word. God, as we thank you this day, we give you honor and praise that, that God, you've allowed us this time to come together, to assemble, to open your word and to worship you. And, and God, as we're here today, we pray that whatever takes place, that you are pleased, that you are glorified, your sons magnified. And God, we pray that you would edify your people. Now, God, you be with us as we open your word. You speak to us as we open our ears, our hearts, and our minds. And God, if there's one here who doesn't know you through your son Jesus Christ let this be a day that they find confidence in what you have provided in, in providing our salvation let this be a day that they call out to you and that God that they would receive your son as their Lord and Savior and we'll praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus holy name we pray amen I have to be honest with us when we first when I first started looking at psalm eighty five and those first three verses seemed to really jump out at me. But when I got to verses four through seven, it was a different story as a matter of fact i I started wondering, have I found a contradiction here in the Bible? Well, what I do know is that if we find a contradiction in the Bible, we need to keep reading, we need to keep studying because god 's word does not contradict itself God's word is infallible it's inerrant it is the holy word of God so where did I find where did I think I found this um, contradiction well if we look in those first three verses the Bible tells us especially in verses two and three that you have forgotten the iniquity of your people the psalmist goes on to say you have covered all their sin in verse 3 he says you have taken away all your wrath you have turned from the fierceness of your anger this is statements these are statements he confidently shares in verses 2 and 3 when we get to verse 4 through 7 we begin to hear him ask questions and the question in verse 5 is will you be angry with us forever will you prolong your anger to all generations will you not revive us again when we have those questions there it seems as if they're contradicting those first three verses but but i did a little more research <laughs> did a little more study 
and uh, observing the text, what we find in this psalm is in these first three verses, the psalmist is acknowledging God's faithfulness. The psalmist is acknowledging that God that uh, that God has been faithful to His promises to the people, and we can take comfort in His promises. However, in verses four through seven. We see that he acknowledges the sin of the people. God had forgiven Israel as a nation. God had displayed this forgiveness by preserving the land and bringing the people back to their land. But here in these next verses, it is clear that that as God has lifted judgment away from the nation of Israel, the people themselves, the individuals, had not committed or had not repented and turned back to God. They were people, while there may have been many who had had repented. There had been many who had given, who had decided they were going to serve the Lord. There were still those who were still at odds with God. They were still far from God. They were still living their life the way they wanted to live their lives. So what the psalmist then does is cry out to God on behalf of everyone. And he cries out for restoration. We see here in this passage, this cry for restoration. In verse 4, the psalmist says, Restore us, O God of our salvation. The psalmist gives God a title here. Make sure you don't misunderstand that that first verse. Make sure you don't misunderstand and think that the psalmist is asking for God to restore their salvation. He's not doing that. He gives God a title. He says, God, you are the God of our salvation. He doesn't call him our God. He calls him the God of our salvation. But he... And this is just too important for us to miss. The psalmist is saying that God is our only hope. He, and just as God had preserved the land, he, the psalmist understood that God and God alone could preserve them too. He and only he could bring them to repentance and restore them back to the path of righteousness. The psalmist has no, no confidence whatsoever in the people restoring themselves, but he has placed all his confidence in the restoration the Lord can provide for them. And so I want to ask us, have we really called on to the fact that God and God alone is the God of our salvation? Do we know that he is the originator of our salvation? He is not only the originator, he is the preserver of our salvation. And not only is he the originator and the preserver, but he is also the finisher of our salvation. It is God who provides salvation for us. Well, what do you mean with all this preaching? What I mean is this, that it is God who created us and he created us in a perfect state. And when we sin, when man sinned, it was God who covered man's sin. It was God who established the sacrificial system. But when the sacrificial system no longer would do, it was God in the fullness of time that sent his only begotten son to be the once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. It was God who raised him from the dead. It was God who Jesus, who when Jesus Christ ascended back to the Father, 
sent his Holy Spirit to indwell and empower men. It, it, it was God who, who has his Holy, through the power of his Holy Spirit that convicts us and calls him, calls us to himself. It is God who, when we by faith receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, will send his Holy Spirit to indwell us. It is God who begins to work in us to conform us into the image of his very own son, Jesus Christ. And it is God who will finish the work and bring us back to himself. It is God who provides salvation for us. Somebody should have shouted. Just knowing that it ain't us, it is all God who does this. There's two men in the world today. And some may be here or some may be at home as part of your families who are trying their best to get themselves right before they surrender their lives to Christ. Well, I want us to all know that that's just counterproductive. It doesn't work that way. We can't get right with God. We don't have the power. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the ability to get right with God. It is God, the, the God of our salvation who makes us right with him. We must surrender to him and let him restore us to who he has meant for us to be we can't have confidence in ourselves we put our confidence in the salvation that he provides well if that's the case and I believe it to be we have to ask the question how is it or what is it that the psalmist is asking God to restore for them just thinking about the storyline I can't help but wonder if the psalmist is asking God to restore them emotionally is he seeking an emotional restoration here the psalmist is asking God to cause his anger toward them to cease why would the psalmist feel that God is angry with them why would he consider that God might would be angry with them forever. Well, could it be because of all that the psalmist is seeing as he surveys what's taking place around him? You know, there's something, well, there were a couple of things. But one thing that we can know that was consistent with the Jews when they came back to Jerusalem is was that Jerusalem was a site of destruction. As a matter of fact, each trip that the Jews made back to Jerusalem, we said last week there were three trips. There were three trips out of Jerusalem into captivity. There were three trips that, that came back to Jerusalem. And in each trip, what was found was a site of destruction. This is an obvious reminder. Jerusalem was an obvious reminder that they had been taken captive. Here on the first trip back, Zerubbabel had led the people back to Jerusalem and he led them to build the altar on top of the foundation where the old altar had been. And, and he led the people to build the temple back. But soon after, the people went right back to their piece of land and they began making a life for themselves. So when Ezra came back years later... Ezra on his trip back to Jerusalem, he brought the articles of God to be placed back into the temple, but, but there was no rebuilding taking place. So when Nehemiah, several years later, when he came back, 
what he found was there was no city. The walls of the city had been destroyed and there was no effort in building or rebuilding those walls. As a matter of fact, the homes within the walls that had been there before, they had been destroyed. And there was no effort to rebuild those homes. So I can imagine that emotionally this was taking a toll on the people, on the Jewish people. That emotionally... I can imagine that that as they surveyed everything, they found themselves depressed or discouraged and in despair. They found themselves overwhelmed with what they saw. I can imagine they were in a desperate need for an emotional restoration. They needed God to restore them, to help them to get back on the path of living their lives in his steps. And if we were to just take some time and think about the last three years of our lives, I believe it would be safe to say that discouragement and despair in the world has been overwhelming. I would think it would be safe to say that we need God to provide for us an emotional restoration. We need God to restore us and to help us to live our lives out in his steps. Just think of all that we went through in the past three years. We had maybe the most divisive election campaign that has ever taken place in our country. And before the election could be decided, we before that could happen, we found ourselves in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Where families were decimated by a virus that seemed to just take over the world. We saw where this resulted in a lack of trust among scientists it resulted in a lack of trust among medical professionals and there was a lack of trust among politicians and even within the church there was a a great lack of trust we found that lives were lost jobs were lost businesses were shut down and many churches closed their doors and now with all of that we're faced with We're faced with this war that is taking place. We're faced with the financial stresses of food and fuel. And if that's not enough, and I just believe that's plenty. There's the tragedy of drugs and disease and death all around us. Folks, we need God to restore us. Can't you understand why there are many people out here in this world who are, who are just depressed right now, who are discouraged, who can't seem to see a way out? Amen. We need an emotional restoration. We need through the power of the Holy Spirit for God to remind us that he is still faithful. He is still on his throne. And no matter what it looks like with our mortal eyes, he is still in control. He had brought us through wars in the past. He's brought us through soaring prices in the past. He's brought us through viruses in the past and he's given us strength to get up and go about our day each day that we open our eyes. He should be praised today because we need his provision in our lives. His grace has proven to be sufficient. Sufficient for us in sickness, sorrow, and separation. His grace has been sufficient for us for salvation. And I want to encourage us that we continue to live our lives out in his steps. I want us to be encouraged that God has us in the palm of his hand. 
and he's taking care of us. He's taking care of us. I'm not worried about Washington. I'm not worried about a president. I'm not worried about uh, Congress or, or the, the Senate. I'm not worried about, they can't help me. But there's a God who sits high, looks low, who loves me greater than I love myself. And each and every moment of my life, he is helping me. And he's helping you. Yes, he's providing what we need. You know, I told I told them uh, on Wednesday night. I know that we have these soaring prices, and it's got people, it's got people in a panic, and and, and, and I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. But what I do know is, in 2008, we got through it all the way through 2016, and God brought us through it. He'll bring us through this as well. He's able. He's in control. He's working it out. And you know what good it's going to be for us when we look back and we say, God is faithful. He provided for us. And when it gets a little tougher down the road, we'll know that God has been, always been faithful. And he'll keep bringing us along through every obstacle that presents itself before us. God is faith. Did you hear all these services that the Lumbee tribe has for us to help us? Do you think they got that on their own? They ain't a Lumbee in this world ever been smart enough to provide all of this stuff for us. It's God who's working. There hasn't been a Caucasian. There hasn't been an African American. There hasn't been a Jew. There hasn't been anyone outside of Jesus Christ wise enough, smart enough to provide for us all that we need. God is working through people. And we can depend and we can rely upon his provision. He will provide for us emotionally if we seek him. But maybe, just maybe, it's a spiritual provision that they're looking for. You know, that's possible, you know. The psalmist asked the question here, will God revive us again that his people may rejoice in him? Look there in verse 6. He asked this question to us. Again, there, there, is, there was something else other than Jerusalem being a site of destruction. There was something else that was consistent with each trip back to Jerusalem. And that was that Jerusalem was a site of disobedience. <laughs> yeah, Jerusalem was a site of disobedience. The Jews were in need of a spiritual restoration. When Ezra arrived with his group, he found that the people, the priests, and the Levites, whoo, that put me right there, didn't it? It put everybody who works in the house of God right there with the people. The people, the priests, and the Levites, they were all living their lives in sin. They had failed to separate themselves from the pagans who had surrounded them. We said last week the pagans were in the north of them, the south of them, the east of them, and the west of them. All around them, there were pagans that was, that was there. And what was happening? The people, the priests, and the Levites were giving their daughters to marry the pagans, and they were taking daughters from the pagans for their sons. They were married and given in marriage with these pagans. They were disobeying God's law now there may be some that would say well you know that ain't one of the most important laws come on preacher you know that's not you know what, what harm 
is it in them marrying someone of a different faith? Besides, they can stay married. They can coexist with their spouse without being of the same religion. They just won't talk about religion. Or they won't talk about faith. I know that's in the minds of some of us. I know that because there's too many girls marrying boys. And where the girls profess to be saved and the boys don't. There are too many boys who are marrying girls where they profess to be saved. But the girls don't. This is going on and it's going on in the house of God. And it's going on because we feel like that's not important. As a matter of fact, we as parents will say, well, I believe God sent this boy to her. I baptized her, but he's not saved. Please don't tell me that. Because I know better. If she's saved, God didn't send him. She just won't wait for the one that God sends. So she's going to tie herself to him. And vice versa. You know, Mark, what Mark 3 and 25 tells us is that a house divided against itself, it cannot stand. It cannot stand. And if you're going in two directions, you're divided against yourself. You know, we, we must understand this. Darkness and light can't, does not coexist. Whenever there's darkness, when light comes, darkness flees. Whenever there's light and darkness comes, light flees. It can't coexist. Wrong and right can't coexist. It's either right or it's wrong. Both are that arrogant. It's either right or it's wrong. There are no gray areas with God. We are gray, (laughs) but there are no gray areas with God. He does not compromise with sin. And if you go back to the storyline, what we find in chapter 13 of the book of Nehemiah is the results of the Jews compromising with what God called sin. And what we find in that chapter is that the Jews had formed business associations with unbelievers. And what this allowed was for an enemy to find a space in the temple of God. Can you believe that? An enemy of the Jew, an enemy of God, had a place in the temple of God to do his business as he so pleased. This desecrated the temple not only that but the Jewish people stopped paying their tithes which forced the Levites to go have to find work outside of the temple which was contrary to God's word they had to find work outside just to survive they stopped observing the Sabbath taking that extra day to do business so that they could turn a bigger profit And they continued to intermarry with unbelievers. And let me tell you how far this went. They were marrying unbelievers who spoke a different language. And because they spoke a different language, the children weren't learning the Hebrew language. And because they weren't learning the Hebrew language, the law of God was written in Hebrew. They knew not the law of God in the homes. They were in desperate need of a spiritual restoration. Now, we can agree with that, right? That the Jews in this, at this point, they were in desperate need of a spiritual restoration. My question becomes, what would a spiritual rev- restoration look like for us? Let me ask it this way. What does loving the gospel look like for us? Or let me ask this. If we've been spiritually restored, what does worship look like for us? You know what it does look like? It looks like it goes beyond the walls of this building. Oh, oh, yeah. 
it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Our worship goes beyond the walls of this of this place and it goes beyond this 11 o'clock service and I'm so thankful that brother Marcus and, and the media team and everyone that's involved that, that takes place in making sure that people outside, people who don't show up at 11 o'clock, people who cannot come to church that, they, that they're able to see our service. Man, it brings joy to my heart to know that we that we're taking God's blessings and we're carrying it out to the people. Yes. <laughs> It brings joy to me to know that there are people who approach not only me, but other members and say, you know what? I, I go to my church on Sunday, but on Sunday afternoon, I watch y'all services. Some of y'all, that's happened to you. Man, it brings joy to my heart. I'm glad we have a YouTube page and a Facebook page. I'm glad that you can view our services posted on them. I, I'm so glad that we have monitors throughout this church in different places where you can watch the service if you don't want to sit in this sanctuary. I, I'm so glad that we have we have a radio station uh, broadcast outside. If you park in our parking lot and, and turn your radio to 99.9, you can sit in your car and listen to the service. I'm so glad that we that God has blessed us with all of these things that help us to carry our worship beyond these four walls for he's worthy isn't he you know after six months of recorded services I'm glad that we have so many of you who are coming back to church as a matter of fact the past 18 months we've seen God's hand move in our services countless times and, and we should want to honor him for he's worthy of our praise But folks, we must be careful that we don't fall prey to compromise and convenience of worship. We must not use the blessings of God as an excuse to stay at home and not assemble together to worship as a body of believers. If we find ourselves regularly forsaking the assembling together, the, uh, but we can go anywhere else in the world that we choose to go or we desire to go, then we will know we're not living our lives in his steps. We'll know that, that we stand in need of a spiritual restoration. Now, I, now listen, don't, don't, don't go out of here uh, lying on me. Don't you dare do it. I, I use the word regularly. And we have folks who cannot come to church now. The word, they feel it's dangerous for them to be in church. Not because of the virus. But because they don't have the, the, the motor skills to walk in and out of the church. There are those who, who are sick and afflicted and living in facilities and they can't come to church. I get that. There are those who, who just can't come like they used to. And they, and they would love to be here. There's nowhere else they want to be but here. But, but they're not able to. That's why we have these services that we can send out to them. But when we're able-bodied. And we can't regularly attend. Man, we got too many precautions sitting around here to where people need to be afraid of a virus. Less than 300 people, less than well, 252 people tested positive last week in the whole county. We're down to 3.7. The goal is, is 5%. And we, and we still, you can wear a mask if you want. Nobody's going to talk about you. You can take it off if you want. Nobody's going to talk about you. We still got the thermometers. We still got with things in place. We're still spraying and disinfecting our facility. If we're able-bodied, we ought to be here. We ought to be here. 
And if we feel that it's just more convenient for me to just stay at home, then we're standing in need of a spiritual restoration. (laughs) You guys, come on. I got to get out of here before I made somebody mad. (laughs) Reedy Branch family, I want to be honest with you right now for just as honest as I can be here in these next couple minutes. I don't know exactly what you need today. Maybe there's someone who feels overwhelmed and you feel there's a need for you to be encouraged that you're going to make it through this trying time. I assure you, if you call upon the Lord, he can and he will provide the encouragement and the assurance that you need to be restored emotionally. There may be someone here today feeling far from God. You've been saved, but you haven't been spending quality time with him on a daily basis. You've lost your desire to be in the house of God, assembled with other believers to worship him. I assure you, if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will restore you spiritually. He'll provide you with the desire to worship him in spirit and in truth. And as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, there may be someone here today who may need to be restored to God. I'm talking about there may be someone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I promise you upon the authority of God's holy word, If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe that He lived a sinless life, He died for your sins, and on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. If you believe that if you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, that He will. And if you will confess him as your Lord and Savior, he will extend his mercy to you and he'll restore you to himself. I don't say this because it's wishful thinking. I say this because it's the very truth of God's holy word. So whether you need an emotional restoration or whether you need a spiritual restoration or whether you just need to know Jesus as your Savior, right now, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, as they sing this song, He'll come to your rescue. He'll save you. He'll seal you. He'll give you everything that you need. He'll provide all that you need to be restored would you come today